God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This morning, we are going to look in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7. And we're going to look at 14 verses, but we're just going to start out this morning looking at the first six, and then we'll pick up the rest of them in a few minutes. But we're going to look today at this title, The Heart That Saved a Nation. The Heart That Saved a Nation. And we're going to look at what God is looking for that He's able to do and turn a nation's heart back toward Him. And we're going to see a nation whose heart was anything but toward Him. And we're going to see how God used a man of God and used a nation's heart to turn back so that He could save that mighty nation. And today we need Him to save our nation. Amen. We need God to do a mighty work in our lives. This morning, if you stand for the reading of the Word, we're going to look at the first seven verses of 1 Samuel chapter 7. And it says in verse 1, And the men of kerjath Jerem came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it unto the house of Benadab to the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Verse 2, And it came to pass while the ark abode in kerjath Jerem that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto them all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange God and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. Hallelujah. Let's, we're going to stop right there this morning and we're going to pick up in just a few minutes. We're going to look at the heart that saved a nation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You, Lord. And God, we know that right now, Lord, we are in a nation that God, that You can turn back, God. We are in a nation, Almighty God, that Lord, we need our hearts turned back to You. And Almighty God, that Lord, when we do, when our hearts, God, humble ourselves before You, it is that nation, Almighty God, that You will hear and that You will move, and God, You will deliver, God. Lord, You're looking for us, God, to put our trust and confidence not in ourselves, not in a man, but God in You, holy God. For You love us, God, and You have a plan. And God, this morning, I pray that You would open our eyes and let us see, God, that You want us to humble ourselves before You, and that, God, then You'll answer and move. Almighty God, move and speak this morning and meet us in this altar. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The heart that saved a nation this morning. If you look at it, and just to give you, I kind of like to bring you up to speed kind of what's going on. If you look, we're in chapter, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 7. If you look at the beginning of 1 Samuel, we preached on not long ago, Hannah. And we see that God answered the prayer of a little lady who didn't have children. And she wanted God to move in her and give her a child. And, no, and nothing man could do could turn that situation around. And she made God a promise. Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Yes, and she oh, let me tell you something. God, listen, God is looking for people 
who will trust Him to meet their needs. He's looking today and asking, will the nation trust me? He was looking at this little handmaiden of the Lord, Hannah, who trusted God and He heard her prayer and He answered it and she obeyed what she said she would do. From the time this little boy named Samuel was born and as soon as she weaned him, she took him to the house of God and she gives him to the priest, the high priest that, that judged for 40 years was Eli. And she gave him to Eli and said, this is, the, this is the child that I was praying for and God answered my prayer and I made a covenant I would give him back to God and here he is. And she left him there. How hard. I was thinking about a mother's heart. How hard would it be something you've desired so much that you just you dreamed of it you just and you cried out to God and he gave it to you and now you're taking it back and giving it back to God isn't that the way things are in our lives sometimes it's so hard the things God gives us we want to hang on to them it's ours it's mine it's I don't want to but she did we see that this was used in God's divine uh, plan that he gave her the son because at the very time that this little boy was born, that, that prophet or that, that, that priest, Eli, was getting old and he was getting indifferent and he was getting blind. And his two sons were very, very wicked in the house of God. And they were turning not only their hearts away from God, but it was causing even the nation to become indifferent toward the things of God because of what they seen in the house of God. These boys, I won't go into all the details, but they were wicked in the sight of God. And you're looking and you say, God, why would you even allow that? because God gave them an opportunity to repent and they wouldn't do it. And we see even today. Let me tell you something. There has been things that's gone on in the house of God. There's things that the uh, churches and denominations are accepting into the house of God that we used to call sin. And we think that there's no repercussion because of that. But let me tell you something. Just like we see in the first few chapters of this book, you're going to see when the house of God, when the men of God turn their hearts back from God and they lead a nation away, there is prices to be paid. And so today, there's a lot of prices being paid today because of the callousness even in the church and the men and women of God that lead are standing there. And we can't, we got to watch. It's a, it's a scary thing. It's a very scary thing to be in leadership and leading people because you're, you're going to be judged for what you say and what you do. And so we see that, but God was raising up a young man that He was going to bring judgment on these boys. He was going to bring judgment. He was going to bring up a young man. He was going to be able to use him. Man, he used him mightily. This is the one that when uh, uh, we see Eli laying in the bed and he, as a young boy, was sleeping and then we see that the Lord says to him, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli. We know the story. He keeps going back and he see, perceives Eli says, this must be God. Next time say, here I am, Lord. And he lets him know and he tells him the judgment that's getting ready to come against Eli in his house. Eli lets him. You know, here's the thing that troubled me. I could have preached on this this morning because it, it troubled me. Two different times you're going to, no, three times you're going to see in Eli's life that God let him know what he was getting ready to do. God, three times what he told, what he told Samuel, he told him he's getting ready to bring judgment. A man that it doesn't disclose who it is walked into him and put a finger in his face and said, God has told me that he's bringing judgment. He's getting ready to cut off your sons and there's not your, the priesthood's going to be removed from you. There'll not be an old man in your family and God's getting ready to bring judgment. There is three different times God spoke to him and let him know that judgment was coming to him. And instead of Eli saying, God have mercy, even when his boys, the word come to him from people in the community and said, let me tell you the vileness of what these boys are doing, even in the temple of God, all he did was bring them in and scolded them. 
He didn't remove them from their positions. He didn't say God's bringing judgment on you and you no longer qualified to serve Him. No, He left them in these positions and God finally said, because you've made these boys bigger than me and more important than me, I'm going to take them away from you. And in one day, all three of them died. One day, God's judgment. But He didn't leave the people without a voice. He raised up a young man, Samuel. And it says that he went to the people. Before this chapter, we see that he was proclaiming the word of God. And the people knew that a prophet was in the house. They heard his words. But because of the life that these, these uh, Eli and his boys had lived in front of them, their hearts had become indifferent toward the things of God. And they had let the gods of the Canaanites and the Amorites become part of their life. And they had this ideal that they could uh, keep God in their life and bring in these other influences and God would let them get away with it. And we're going to see that He didn't. If you realize what happened right before this, 20 years before this verse... The day that these priests died and Eli fell and broke his neck, the same day when he heard the news, they had went to battle. The Philistines had come against them. And the people went to battle against the Philistines and they lost 4,000 men on the first day. And they was like, what's going on? Why is God not helping us? And instead of going back, this is what happens when you play church instead of get a holding of the hold of the real God. When you're just going through the motions, then we think that some spiritual ritual will we'll just put on a chain with a cross on it and we'll go out back out to battle and surely God will reign and do something then. What did they do? They went into the, they said, we know what we'll do. And, and I'm guessing the reason they did this that probably these, uh, these other nations, when they was come against the Philistines, they probably brought their gods with them. And they're carrying Baal. And they're carrying Ashtoreth to the battle with them. And they said, we'll carry our God. And so they go into the Holy of Holies. And they tell these two uh, vile priests, Hophni and Phinehas. And they tell them, go get the ark of God. And the God that represent the holiness of God. And, and, and bring them out to battle. And we'll bring that out in the middle of battle. And surely... God will do something for us then. But they were living with just the symbolic symbol of God. An empty shell of God. They didn't realize, they weren't thinking that the only reason that that, that ark had power is that time that the Lord would come down between those cherubim. It was the Spirit of God that made something happen. It was when the Spirit of God came down when things changed. It wasn't an empty vessel. It wasn't a piece of furniture where God's Spirit had moved. It was That was nothing. There was no power. And they go out to battle and they weren't calling out on God and they lost such a mighty defeat. And in fact, the enemy took the ark into its possession. The word comes back and Eli finds out and they tell him that the battle went against Israel and we've lost thousands of men and your two sons were killed in the battle. And what was, Eli says, but what, what happened? What's happened to the ark? What's happened to the ark? And they say, they stole the ark. That ark represented the presence of God. And he realized the presence of God departed from Israel. He basically passed out, fell backward. It says he was a big, large man. And when he fell back, his neck was broke. Judgment came upon that house in one day. 20 years has now passed. 20 years has passed. They did not turn back toward God. In fact, if you see what happened, this ark goes into the, uh, the, the Philistine nations and they kept trying to keep it. And everywhere it went, God brought judgment on them because this is God's presence. You don't play around with God. You don't pray with God's presence. And so we see that He put them in the hand of their God, Dagon, and the next morning they come in and Dagon fell on his face before the ark. 
They lift him back up, and the next day they come back in, and what do they find this time? He ain't going to raise back up again because he's now fallen, and his hands are broken, and his head's broke off. There's just a stump left. And they realize, we got to get this out of here, man. This, is, this, this ark has got something powerful involved here. Our God is being fallen and broken in front of it. So they, send it, they start sending it to different cities. And everywhere they send, God brings judgment on the men of that city. And tumors break out in their bodies. And finally, they, they say, they finally get smart and they repent. They realize, this God's powerful. And they put, and they make, they put offerings and, and, and won't go into all the detail. And they put it on a cart. And they say, if we let this cart go, and it starts taking that ark back toward, Jerusalem, toward Israel, we'll know that it's their God that brought judgment on us. If not, we'll know it's a coincidence. But when they put it on there, those cattle started moving right toward, right into Israel and across the border. And we see that God... Uh, uh, brought judgment and they were trying to get God to, to spare them. And we see that it came into a city. And, and we see that the, there was judgment that happened there. But in verse 1, we're reading here, just so you'll know where we're at, they finally did it the right way because God judged them because first, there was men that looked at it. The Israelites looked inside this ark and God brought judgment upon those people because they're touching God's holy uh, 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 ark of the covenant. And so we see that finally they, they did it right and they, they called, uh, uh, it says, it's, they called the men of Kerjath Jerom and they came and they fetched the ark and they put it in the house and they sanctified a young man, a priest, to be able to care for it the way he should. And when he did, all of a sudden, everything was stayed. And in fact, what we won't look at here, it's a hundred years later from when they did this, uh, we see David, he finally brings it back to Jerusalem. We see because he wants the glory of God back in the church. He wants it back in the temple. But we see that God blesses where his presence is. But there's been 20 years it's been in this house. 20 years that's been in this house and they've been still under the scourge of these Philistines. And we see this morning their hearts are starting to grumble. Their hearts are starting to, to be uh, tender and they realize what they've lost. And they had a heart toward God that Samuel's getting ready to appear the second time on the scene and he's getting ready to give them direction. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a heart that Samuel said to them, this is the heart you've got to have if you really want God to move. You want him to deliver you. If you want God's goodness in your life, here's the heart you must have. We see, first of all, he tells them they've got to have a convicted heart. It's talking about a convicted heart that they've got. Verse 2 tells us about that convicted heart. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kerjath-Jerim, that a long a time was long for it was 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. I just thought this morning what happened 20 years ago basically about 20 years ago we just suffered a, a major loss with 9-11. Right. Have we turned back to God or we continue going the other way? Our nation is not, they repented slowly or for a short period of time and then it went right back the other direction. So I was just thinking about that. It's been 20 years and in God's presence has not been in the house. It's not been in the nation. We've not seen God moving for 20 years. This word here that says that they lamented after the Lord is only in Scripture one time. This is the only time this exact form of this word. And it's Wayenahu. And this word means mourn. They were mourning and sighing after Yahweh. They were following after God, just yeah. grieving before God. Why? 
because God convicted them, they started looking back. And they were remembering, why are we going through all this? Why are we going through all these things that's leaving us empty and undone? Because we do you remember how it used to be when we served the Lord God, when His presence would come down, when our enemies would come against us, when we, we would live in victory and He would bless our lives. And for the last 20 years, because we've turned after the things of this world, we have done nothing but be left empty and dead on the inside. And it says that their hearts were convicted. Their hearts were yearning to see God. And to see God to come back. And they wanted Him to do so. We see that God uh, turns uh, people back when, they start, or when He's able to convict their heart and draw them back. God's looking to convict a nation again. I remember when God convicted me. You know what? Just as these people found out, they found out that the life that they turned over to left them empty. It left them undone. These, these worldly pleasures, that they, these gods that we were serving would leave them empty because they were dead. They were empty and they were just trying to satisfy their own flesh. And the, the, the punishment of their enemies having, uh, 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 having a rule over them, they were realizing God were paying such a price because we are not living for you. And he was mourning them. And he was causing their heart. I remember how I was as a young man that turned his back away from God. I know, I'm telling you something. I was the most miserable, I've told you, sinner in the world. Why? Because I realized that everything that I was trying, everything that I was pursuing, I'm thinking maybe this is what I'm looking for, would leave me undone, would leave me miserable, would leave me feeling more distant than ever before. And all I could do was look back over my shoulder. And remember where I used to be. And it left me like this. Sighing after the things of God. I wish I'd have come back a lot quicker. Because it took me a while in this state to get you have to. It's the enemy just keeps pulling you. Oh, maybe one more thing. Maybe this will do it. Maybe if you accomplish this, you'll find all oh, you won't find it. You know the thing that troubles me the worst? This is why it's so important that our young people gets in the altar right now. This is why it's so important. And even some of you maybe can say, can say this. There is a generation of people that have never experienced God at a level to where they know that God is real and God's done something mighty in their life so that when they do walk away from Him, that they have this yearning to go back because they've never experienced who God truly is. They've, they've lived through an experience with parents or grandparents or someone else, but they've never got a hold of God for themselves, and it's just an empty shell. Amen. And so they don't know. They know they're miserable. They know they're searching. They're looking in everything in the world, but they've never really given God all their heart, and so they don't realize what they're looking for is nothing other than God Himself. And that's such a tragedy. And so that's why it's so important that our young people gets in the altar. And I mean gets in there until they get completely turned around. I remember getting in altars with tears flowing down my face. And getting in altars where God changed me from darkness to light. And when I got up, I was a different person. I was hungry for the things of God. I wanted to do things for God. I knew God had changed me and saved me. There wasn't no guess. It wasn't a form of just going through religious activity. It was a change. There was a stirring. There was a mighty move of God. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I knew He was real. But a generation that we have today has never experienced that. And they don't realize what they're missing. And you'll keep looking and they'll keep looking for the things of this world to satisfy them. It will never do it. It will always leave you undone. So we see that we need, and God wants to convict a nation's heart. 
That's a heart God can turn around. It's a nation that He's able to convict. So we also see that what kind of heart is God looking for? He's looking, Samuel's going to say, you want God, you give Him a complete heart. You give Him your complete heart. It says in verse 3, the first part of that verse, it says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, when he's hearing them cry, and saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. That's the first part of that verse. If you really want God to move, you come to Him with all your heart. God's not satisfied with a partial heart. God wants your whole heart. The Lord Himself clarified that in Luke chapter 10, in verse 27, when He said, And He answered, answering saith, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, how? With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. What does God want from you? What kind of heart can God turn? The one that's a whole heart toward Him. Your whole heart. We're not Hindu. We're not Buddhist. That we just take and we want to add God to the heap and the pile. And God's satisfied as long as we give Him a little of our time. No, God wants all of you. Because God give you all of Him. He didn't just give you something or want something great from heaven. He gave you, He bankrupt heaven when He sent His Son to you. He gave you everything. Because He wants to know us. So he can, does He want everything from us so that He can control us? No, He wants to pour out His love on us. He wants to pour out His blessings on us. He wants to pour out His mercy on us. But it requires us coming to Him with our whole heart. A complete heart. Joel knew about this. Joel told us about giving God our whole heart. In Joel chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 tells us about that. He says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Rent your heart. Rip your heart. Not your garments. I'm not looking for an outward movement and showing people that what you're doing. Rip your heart. Let your heart be broken before me. Return to the Lord your God. For why? He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Hallelujah. God wants to pour out His Spirit and He wants to move and work, but we first have to give Him our whole heart. Our whole heart. Let me tell you something. There's, there is no way that we would accept our mates, the people that we love, the person that says I do to you, and you was to come to them and say, I just want, I want your heart. I'll give you a heart, half my heart, but I'm going to give someone else the other half. We would never accept that. It wouldn't be good enough. Why? Because if we give someone all of our heart, we want everything back in return because that's the person we love. That's the person we want to give everything we have and we want to be with and to fellowship with and we want all back to us. We need to realize that God is no different. I was thinking about it this morning and I was thinking about a good example. That would have been on September 2nd, 1945. We had been in a war with Japan. And they were, they were merciless. And in fact, we, and at that point, we'd never met a foe before that was, that was willing to die themselves. Most of the time when you fight somebody, they want to live and so do you. Yeah. But we seen that they had this spiritual belief that they could take their planes and use them as missiles themselves into their ships and kamikaze pilots and they would be some spiritual blessing to them if they gave their own lives. And so these, this country would just sacrifice their people by the thousands to try to overrun us. 
And so we were fighting an enemy we'd never seen before. And so finally we had, it was becoming, the numbers of deaths was getting increasing, increasing. And so finally, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, we dropped the bombs. And thousands and thousands of people went into eternity. And finally the nation surrendered to us. On this September 2nd, 1945, there was a meeting of declaration of surrender. And our representatives was at the table. And the representatives of the Japanese army was at that table. And there was a signature that had to be signed that says, We have a complete and total surrender. We lost. You won. We are completely surrendering to you. I was thinking if they would have come to the table and said, now listen, this is a partial surrender. <laughs> this is just a partial surrender. There would not have been peace, but war would have continued. More death would have ensued. Why? Because they had to come to the table completely surrendered. That's the only way. But boy, aren't we a great nation because we rebuild when somebody surrenders to us. We rebuild them and we help. And, and there's blessing. Isn't that the way God is? We come to God and when we surrender Him, the enemy is saying, if you surrender to God, you lose everything. But no, God is a great God who says, hey, listen, when you surrender to me, that's when you're going to find the real blessing you've been looking for. That's when things really take off is when you surrender to me. I don't come down and destroy your life. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to make you better than ever before. Thank God. Hallelujah. He wants us to have a heart that's complete before Him. So we see that God can turn a nation that has a convicted heart that gives them a complete heart. What else today? He wants us a consecrated heart. He wants to have a consecrated heart. The second part of verse 3 says, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. What's he talking about? He's talking, these are the children of Israel that he's talking about. And for the last 20 years or more, they have not only been trying to say with the outward lips, oh, we serve God. But in this, on the side, thinking no, God wouldn't see it. They have been serving these gods of the people's land who they had conquered. And God, they were serving Ashtoreth. They were serving Baal. And you start looking at that and you say, well, those bunch of nuts, they ought to realize that, that there's a penalty for that. If you look at these gods and what they represented, Baal was a god of, of, of rain and thunder and, and, and would bless the fertile crops. And so they were looking out for what? Their gain. So whenever the droughts would come, they would then lean over and they would worship Baal. God bless my crops. Why? Because they were looking out for their own gain. This Ashtaroth that they were serving was a God that would, that would gave them fleshly pleasures and they were feeding their own desires. The carnal-based nature of a, of a human life. And they were falling into that. Why? They were looking for pleasure. So they were serving other gods for gain and for pleasure. Are we doing anything like that today in the land that we live? Are we not serving pleasure and our own gain and our own greed in what we live? And so we look at it and we're falling into the same trap that they fell into. We find ourselves falling into that trap. And listen, we've got to get rid of everything else in our heart and give it to God alone. Why? Our God is a jealous God. What are you talking about? Does God say He's jealous? Absolutely, he says in Exodus 34, 14 is a declaration of God's jealousness. It says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. 
Oh, he's jealous for you. That, isn't that a wonderful thing that God looks at you and he says, I don't want them to have anybody else but me. They're all mine and I want me to be all theirs. I don't want anything else to take your heart. I don't want there to be one other thing you love more than me. And when he does that, he wants to pour out his blessings upon you. I remember when I, when I was first dating my wife, I, I used to be a jealous guy. I know you guys can't believe and gals don't believe that. I was a jealous guy. And, and anybody got around her and would talk to her, she'd, I'd be ready to pick her up at work after she got off and she worked at KFC and I'd be out in the parking lot and I could see the store closed and I could see all the guys running around and everybody's excited and I could see this all, uh, uh, you know, carrying on and stuff and I would see all these guys and I'd think, I, I want to punch those guys. <laughs> I want to punch her. Why? I was jealous. That's, she's mine. They don't need to be talking to her. And, and she finally, hit, you know what she had to do? She had to come say, no, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. Why? You, you don't have to worry about me. You got me all. You, I'm not going to do anything. And thank God she's been faithful to that. You can trust me. You got my whole heart. I ain't worried about anybody else but you. Oh, you know what? I was a jealous guy. Well, we serve. Where do we get that from? Well, God's a jealous God. God's a jealous God. He loves you that way. He looks at you that way. And he says, I want all of them. I don't want their hearts to be toward this world. I don't want them to fall into these messes that they're falling into. I want to pour my blessing. I want to do things. I want to be closer to them than ever before. And he's jealous when we give our attention to somebody else. God wants to bless us. God's a jealous God. And he wants us to turn back toward him. He demands in our heart to be dedicated to him only. Joshua had a dedicated and consecrated heart. We see that in Joshua 24, 15, when he challenges a nation to dedicate themselves, to concentrate themselves to the Lord. It says, as he addresses the nation, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Don't be half-hearted. Don't serve the world and God. Choose. Serve one or the other. Don't try to serve both. Which, and it goes on... Um, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood. You want to go back to the things that failed you? Those things that brought you ended up in destruction? Those gods that you picked up in Egypt? You go for it. Or the gods of the Amorites in the land that you're living? Or in whose what land ye dwell? But then he stands up and makes a proclamation. He says, I'm consecrated to God. I'm set apart for God. I'm consecrated. He says, but as for me, my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Every part of us. He's the only one we're going to serve. And he challenged the nation to stand before God. Today more than ever, we need to decide. Is God our real God? Are we, are we going to keep going down that road of trying to live and to please self and God? We need to get to that place where we say, God, none other than you. You've got all my heart. I consecrate myself to you. So we see this morning that God can turn a nation who He's able to convict their heart, who gives them a complete heart and a consecrated heart. You know what else kind of heart He wants? He wants a contrite heart. That's a broken heart. He wants a broken heart. Oh, let me tell you, if you ever had anybody do anything, maybe your children, they've done something wrong, and you're, you, they're, you're getting ready to discipline them, and you see that they're really broken. Maybe even you have to discipline them as you do. I, I've told you this before. I'm telling the worst... 
I, it killed me anyway to, to discipline. Your, your daughters, my daughter was soft and tender, and there's different times when you had to discipline her. So don't think of me as this mean old guy because I'm a big old tender whatever anymore. But I, there was at one point, I can't remember what she did, but I had to do something about it. It was kind of, it was kind of out there, and it was like, well, i got to deal with this. And so I did. And the moment I did it, I've talked to you this before, she just started crying, not with the pain. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure it hurt, but when she, she just started crying, threw her arms around me, and with big crocodile tears looked up at me. And she wouldn't say it stop or that hurt or whatever. She just like, I'm so sorry, Daddy. She started crying, tears going. And I'm telling you, her daddy just broke down and cried bigger than she did. Yeah. Why? She had a contrite heart. The point got through. Her heart was broken. I seen that the point was made. She would never do that again. Why? She had a broken heart. So many times God tries to get our attention and we disobey God and in front of Him and He tries to woo us. He tries to discipline us and we are living in a nation that God, 20 years ago, there's things that happened in our nation. God's trying to get our attention and He allowed things that came in and, and the enemy's trying to destroy us and yet instead of turning back to God, we all, we're doing this to God. We don't need you. God says, if only this nation would be contrite before me, if only a nation would call out on me, I will hear and I'll forgive. We see God wants to do, God wants to be merciful. Why in the world would He tell Eli three times what He's going to do? And He never turned back. He kept going. Yes, He deserved it. And I was thinking, maybe He's thinking, God, I deserve it. But let me tell you something. I guarantee you would have seen a different outcome if Eli would have said, God, have mercy on me and my sons. God, turn this back. God would have had mercy. God wants to show mercy. Oh, God wants to have mercy on us. It says in this uh, verse 5 and 6, we see that we see this, control, this broken spirit that Israel had before the Lord. This is what he was looking for. And it says, and Samuel said, because they turned, the verses before that says they turned away. They did. They put away their other gods. They turned away from these other things. And when he seen that they were serious before God, it says in verse 5, and Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah. And I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together into Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, what was they crying out? We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Samuel had a unique call on his life, different than almost anybody else in all of Scripture. He had three different roles that he played. This was before there was kings. So we see that God put such a mighty call on Samuel that he was, he was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a judge. We see, in fact, in the scripture that I've just read you today, we're going to see that, that Samuel performs all three duties. All three positions is carried out. We see that he's a prophet and that he declares you need to repent and if you turn your heart from God, God will hear you and God will save you from your enemies. Yes. That's the prophet. We see that he fulfills uh, 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 the position of priest and that when their hearts are turned, he says, come, I'm going to offer a sacrifice for you. We're going to see him offer a sacrifice as a priest. We're going to see him pray over the people. And we're going to see that he's going to be a type of Christ as an intercessor for the people. The Christ later is, in, is the intercessor between us and God. And here we see Samuel becomes the intercessor and says, You've sinned, God will forgive. And he brings them together and he anoints them and they cry out to God. And it says he's a judge because he judged them there. He judged their sin and they cried out for mercy. 
We see a powerful, mighty uh, move that God is using this prophet to, to, to accomplish in the, these people's lives. And what they don't understand is that what they did was in the nick of time. If they had not repented when they did, they could have been destroyed in this very story. We see that God mightily responds when a nation gathers in national prayer and national repentance. Today, I pray and hope and pray that today, not only, and I know others, I know this is happening. I talked to one of my friends that's a pastor this morning, and we were talking about what we were preaching on today. And there is a unity. There is churches all over this land today preaching that we need to turn our hearts, that we need God to forgive. We need God to turn us back. We need God to intercede. And so when God, want, God wants His nation to turn together in one corporate body, to be able to stand and say, God, we are guilty. We are convicted as a nation. We have turned our back on you. We need your forgiveness. We need you to move in our land. We need you to move and forgive our sin. And God, take us back. And we see what that is what they did. They, they took water as a symbol of pouring themselves out before God. They poured out water before God as tears, as an altar, and, and poured it out before Him as a completeness before God. And all day long they fasted before God, saying, God, we are serious about you. We want you. And what was their cry? In one voice, they cried out and said, we've sinned against you. We've turned our back on you. And they cried out to God. Does that make a difference? I mean, does it really make a difference when God's people gets together and we pray and we repent? Does God do anything about that? Absolutely. God does the miraculous when God's people turn back and call out on Him. Psalms 51 tells us that He wants that contrite, that broken heart. Psalms 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God, this is what God wants. He wants are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, Thou wilt not despise. God never pushes back the heart that melts before Him, that comes before Him with tears. That's why it's so important in the altar of repentance that there be something real, that there be tears. I, I, you know, many of you probably experienced that. When I got saved, I can tell you that the altar was just sopping wet. Why? Because I had plenty of things to pour out there. And I came up lost. And I came up undone. And I came up hopeless. And, I, and when I got there, I felt the shame of my sin. And I repented before God because I realized in standing in the presence of a holy God, I was vile and I needed help. And when I was there, all of a sudden, just He washed me clean. And there was just a pouring out. God wanted wants people to be broken before Him. He wants a nation and He will answer it. Hosea tells us this also in verse chapter 10, verse 12. And he says what to do is sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy. What does He say to do? Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. It's time for us to break up the hardness of our hearts and come before God and cry out to Him. I got concerned for six weeks after I started coming back to church. I went through a period for a few weeks. I wasn't feeling anything. I wasn't feeling God. I knew that I needed God to draw me. Now I was sitting there. I was hearing the preaching go forth. And listen, let me tell you something. This is a dangerous place to be. 
If you can sit in the house of God and you don't feel something and you know, if you know right now that when you were to walk out that door and the Lord were to come back, that you ain't sure you'd make it. Or maybe you know you wouldn't make it. If you're in that spot and you can be in the house of God and you don't feel anything, one of two things is going on. One of two things. Either that, either that preacher has not got an anointing of God upon him and I was under a whole lot of good preaching. There's a lot of anointing. Or we, our hearts have become so indifferent and hard toward God that broken ground that we need needs to be broken up. And I was sitting there and for about four weeks I came. I got scared. Because I knew the way it was supposed to be. I was thinking, well, Lord, I'm not feeling like I could pray. I'm not feeling like I could pray. And I was tore up and I started getting concerned. Like, God, and, and of course, what's the enemy do? He says, that's because God's turned his back on you. You got no hope. It's closed. If God doesn't deal and draw us, that's why it's so important. When you feel God's presence drawing you, you better respond. You better move because Scripture tells us they will come a day. You push him back and say, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. Get away from me. Finally, there'll come a day you won't feel anything. You won't feel anything. How can some of these men who mass murders do some of the things that they did? It's because they did it the first time and felt guilty. And they kept doing more until finally their hearts were hardened where they could do things that was unseemly, that was unbelievable. And they never even felt guilty. Why? Their hearts were hard. Their hearts and their conscience was hard. We can get that way before a holy God. And so I got there for four weeks and finally I started feeling His presence. And when I did, boy, I had to respond. Because I was so scared that I was going to mess around and not feel that again. And so when I felt God's presence again, that sixth week, when I come on a Sunday night, I felt God drawing me. And man, I didn't mess around to get to that altar. And I've never looked back. Oh, I've made lots of mistakes, but I've never looked back. Hallelujah. Because He is such a forgiving and wondrous God. But it's through those who break themselves before Him. God's looking for a nation that will break its heart before God today. So we see that a nation can, God can turn a nation whose heart he's convicted and gives him a complete heart, a concentrated heart, a contrite heart. Oh, God's able to do mighty things once we have a crying heart. We cry out to him. We see in verse 7 and 8, that's what they did. They had given themselves everything. They, they had cried out and surrendered to him. And we see that. Let, let me, we, this, we've said this before and I'll say it again. Anytime you make a move toward the things of God, the enemy's going to be coming right then. He's going to try to shut you down right then. The enemy's not going to let you move toward God without trying to attack. But guess what? We're going to see victory right here. We're going to see that when we give our complete self to God, you don't have to worry about that enemy that 20 years ago wiped you out. That enemy that keeps stealing from you. That enemy that keeps plaguing you. You don't have to worry anymore. Something's different. And we're going to see what happens when we have a crying heart. Verse 7 says, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord. You've got to underline this in your word, okay? Or at least in your mind. Here's the difference. You're going to have to see a difference from 20 years to this one. Here it is. Cease not to cry unto the Lord, our God, for us, that He will save us out of the hands of the Philistines. You say, well, why didn't you go get the ark? <laughs> why didn't you go get the ark out of, you know, out of this house? Why didn't you go get it? Why? We've realized. That's not what's going to save us. It's the God that came down in the ark. 
and now he's our God because we've turned our heart completely back to him. Listen, we're not, they didn't say, guys, run and get the swords. Guys, go get the, the chariots. Guys, go get the biggest horses. No, they said, you cry out to God, Samuel. Here the enemy's coming and bearing down on them. Cry out to God, Samuel, to the Lord our God that he will save us. Wow, what a difference. They weren't trusting. 20 years ago, they went out to battle and they had a confidence, we're going to be okay. They were bold and went out to battle. Why? Because they took the ark with them. But this time, they're humbled before God. They're crying out to God. They're trusting in God. Not in their strength are they going to battle. They're going to stand there until the Lord, Lord, you've got to deliver. Here they come, Lord. What are we going to do? We trust in you. And we see that they had a heart that was crying out to God. This is exactly this this is exactly the heart that God can turn the world upside down with. One that is that is pure before him is completely been given to him that's crying out for God to turn the tide, to turn the situation around. What was God's response? Verse 9 tells us, And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. This word heard, if you look in almost any other translation, that word heard actually means answered him. He answered him. It wasn't just a hope. It wasn't just a maybe God will do it. He answered him. We're going to see how he answered in just a minute. We're going to see what God did. To turn the tide. Let me tell you something. When God's people cry out, God not only hears, but God moves. Oh, yes. We want God to move right now. We've got to cry out to Him. We've got to cry out to Him with all of our heart. We've got to trust Him, not man. There is not a man that can fix the situation we're in. There is not a party that can fix the situation we're in. We have to trust in a God that we put our confidence in that He could turn hearts back to Him. And that's the answer that we have to have. We see that God will move. And we see that God's looking for that kind of heart. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect. The word perfect, complete toward Him. The heart that is given completely to Him, trusting in Him, crying out on Him. God says, that's what I'm looking for and I'm going to move. You want to see God move and do the miraculous in your life and in this nation? Let's give Him all of our heart. Let's give Him our complete heart. Let's cry out to God and trust in Him and see what God will do. We're getting ready to see how God answers because this, this last part, hey, He doesn't leave us weeping and crying, but God gives us victory in our lives. God wants to give us victory in our lives. God doesn't want you to stay in, 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 in defeat and, and, and seeing all the things happen and, and the enemy stealing from you and the enemy keep taking from you. No, because we're trusting in Him and we're looking back to Him to bring revival to our families and our nation. And God will do the miraculous in our lives when we do that. You know what kind of heart He'll give you? He'll give you a courageous heart. He'll give you a heart that you see victory in your life. We see in verse 10, what was God's response? And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, remember it said that he heard and answered him? The Philistines drew near to battle. They were right on their heels. They were getting ready. There they are. And they were worried about two things. One, whenever they see nations go together and all in one place, they're calling out their gods. They thought they were getting ready to come up to battle toward them. And so they're coming. And also they're an easy target. They're all in one place, guys. 
guys. We can come in and wipe them all out at one time. Let's get them. And so they're charging in on Israel. And they say, look, guys, we took them 20 years ago. We were victorious. And their God had no power against us. Here we come. And as they're charging in, it says that he is offering the burnt offering. And as they drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered. With a great thunder on that day against upon the Philistines. They served the god Baal, which represented thunder and lightning. And God, if you look at the interpretation of this word thunder, it's the voice of God. God with His voice. How did He answer? He, he brought His wrath with His voice upon these enemies of God. And He hit them with such a mighty force that it just totally, the Word says, that they were confused. They were all, they were just totally addled. They didn't know what they were doing. They were thrown off center. A storm hit them with such mighty force that it drove them back. They weren't able to challenge and come in upon the people of Israel, but they were knocked back on their horses. This thunder, this storm caused them to be disconfitted, to be confused, to be addled and not know what they were doing. And so when Israel went after them, they were pursuing them. They didn't have to drive them back. God drove them back. And all they did was be able to charge out and taking them left and right as they went. Get away from my home. This is what God gave me. This is the land that God gave us. And they were walking into victory. They had, the battle was already won. Why? Because God can give us a courageous heart because when He fights the battle, it's a done deal. He doesn't want you to do it. He'll do the work. Why? So that He can receive glory. And it says that He thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited. He confused them and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they come under Bethkar. They just kept knocking them out and taking them out. God wants to do a mighty work. God wants to deliver us. God wants to show Himself mighty. Hallelujah. This verse fulfilled a prophecy that Samuel's mother had said in chapter 2 of Samuel. And this is what she said whenever she had this son. Here's, this was the prophecy. This is a prayer she was praying, but it was, it was uh, carried out in this battle. It says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall He thunder upon them. Well, how in the world would she have known? But this was the prophecy of what God was getting ready to do through her own son's life. God was going to bring victory to His people through thunder to show that He's above any God. Their gods are dead. They have no ears. They can do nothing. You want to know who's over thunder? It's God Almighty. The God we serve. And we see that He broke them to pieces. God will bless the nation that turns their heart back to Him with restoration and He'll give back lost blessings that we've lost. Verse 12 tells us the response that Samuel says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. He raised up a stone. If you look and see where they lost 20 years before, it was in a city called Ebenezer. And if you find out, it was almost like, What? How in the world names mean something? Ebenezer means the stone of help. But they, because they went out with a cold heart, they lost and they rejected the stone, the, the rock that the builders rejected. They, they rejected God Himself who was going to be their help. 
They rejected him, but now they trusted in him. And now he went and raised about three miles outside of Jerusalem, northeast, I think northeast of, of Jerusalem. He raised up this great stone so that they would continue seeing this for generations to come. A stone, and he called that stone Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. And he said, why is he doing it? Because this far, thus far, hath God helped us. In our lives, we need to raise up a stone. How many this morning with me can say a testimony and say, every day of my life, God's been faithful to me. Thus far, God has helped me. To the very moment that I stand, I can tell you with a testimony, God has helped me every day of my life. Sometimes, even through judgment, God has helped me to get where I needed to be. God's been faithful to me. And not only will He be faithful today, but He'll do it going forward. We need to raise up an Ebenezer stone where we look back and when our children say, what's that? You're able to say, that's a proof that God's faithful to His children. Yeah. Our nation needs an Ebenezer stone. Because we can say from the very founding of this nation to this very day, the only reason that we even stand is because of the Lord God Almighty. It's not because of some political party. It's not because of some plan that someone come up with or because we do certain things. It's because we have served a holy God and He's the one that's brought us this far. I was thinking we need to raise up a stone, but I think we've already got one. It stands there in, in, the, in, the, in the harbor there in New York City. If you've ever been there, there is a Statue of Liberty that raises up with their hands pointed up toward God Almighty. And as we look at what God has done and how God has given us a nation that's like no other. God has blessed us greater than any nation in time. And when we look at what God has done to us, that statue stands there as a stone that stands in the middle of that harper and it says, God has been the person who's brought us to this point. There is people that wants to destroy that and tear that down because they can't stand what we have. The liberties that we have. There is people that can't stand that. But we stand here today and we're going to call out on a God. Raise it back up, Lord. That you people would be able to see that you, Almighty God, are the stone of help. You are the rock that the builders rejected that we put our confidence in. You are the rock of ages. Hallelujah. We uh, raised today a stone in remembrance of what God. Let me tell you something. As I close here, He didn't just give them victory. He didn't just give them a declaration of a stone to remember what God. God give them restoration. We see in verse 13 and 14, the rest of God wants to give you things the enemy has stolen from you. You look at your children, you look at things in your life and you say, I, I dedicated them to the Lord and they're not following Him. Let me tell you something, God can give you victory. God can let you see things that's been stolen from you. He can let you see victory in your life if we trust Him with all of our heart when we put our confidence in Him and not man or ourselves. Verse 13 says, So the Philistines were subdued. They were put down. And they came no more into the coast of Israel. All the days of Samuel, he was a prophet for 40 years and all the days they were not able to do anything. They were just totally powerless against Israel. They came no more into the coast of Israel and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities where the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron even unto Gath and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines and there was peace not only against the Philistines but against Israel and the Amorites peace God is able to do things in your life that you can't even imagine there was no other way this wasn't because of a man this was because of a God 
and God says, you trust me and you call on me and your heart comes back to me, I'll do things you can't even imagine. And the rest of the world was not able to say, oh, it's because of the, of the mighty army that Israel had. No, 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 no. The word got out. Oh, it's because of the God that thundered. It's because of a God that we had spurned and we had turned our back on. And they came back to God. And it was God that gave them the victory. Just like when they came through the Red Sea, the word wasn't that Israel had done anything. It was because their God had delivered them. And people were shaking because of what God had done. Let me tell you something. That can happen today. That can happen today if God's people, which are called in His name, will humble themselves and pray and seek His face and turn from their wicked ways. Then what does God promise? I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive sin. I'll heal a land. God will turn back all the things that's in our nation. God can do the impossible. He can let us see it and give Him glory. But it takes a nation to be calling out on God. Amen. God's looking for a heart. That he can move and work upon a nation. That heart will be turned toward him. So he can say this morning stand. This morning and let's bow our heads. And let's we're going to ask God this morning to have his way in this altar service. Heavenly Father we come before you Lord. And we thank you dear God. We thank you Lord that your name is above every name. God there's no one like you God. Lord we don't have to be trembling or fearful almighty God for what we see because we serve a God that can do the miraculous can do the impossible and God it's only when we call out on you if this nation today Lord and services all over this nation God if there is a cry that goes out if hearts yearn for you if hearts sees that their need for you and that we've turned away away from you and that God we turn back to you and we call out on you and we put our trust in you you'll see you'll hear you'll answer and God, we're trusting you to do that today. But God, I pray, Lord, in this service, God, that you would deal with hearts and lives and you would have your way. God, give us great victory. God, give us great victory. And Lord, let it start with salvation. Let it start with an experience with you like we've never had before.